This is Chattanooga Civics. I'm Nathan Bird. Hamilton County and the city of Chattanooga are proposing a plan to revitalize the South Broad District, including the long empty U.S. Pipe and Wheeland Foundry site. The centerpiece of this plan is the construction of a new publicly owned baseball stadium using a combination of private investment and public tax incentives. This plan will be put to a vote by the County Commission on August 3rd and the City Council on August 9th. In this episode, I sit down with the City's economic development team to do a deep dive into the details of the stadium plan. I hope this interview helps you clarify your opinions on the plan, whatever they may be, and I hope you will contact your city and county representatives to let them know your stance. This episode is sponsored by Wiseman Music. Does your neighbor's dog howl when your piano is played? When your piano is last tuned, could you still ride the Chattanooga Choo Choo? Then give Wiseman Music a call at 850-450-7867 to get your piano tuned and ready to play. Keep calm and play on in tune with Wiseman Music, 850-450-7867. I'd also like to thank my Patreon supporters, especially the Marks family and Stephen Culp. Okay, I think we're good to go. We'll go ahead and start it. get started. If you guys could just introduce yourselves. I'm Jermaine Freeman, Senior Advisor and Mayor Tim Kelly for the City of Chattanooga. Brent Goldberg, Chief Financial Officer, City of Chattanooga. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for coming today and sitting down with me to talk about the Lookout Stadium project. And I know this project includes a lot more than just the stadium. So if you could just kind of give the full scope of what's going on here. And if there's another name for the project, a more official name than the Lookout Stadium project, let's go ahead and have that as well. I don't know if there's an internal. Yeah, no, no, no. We call it the South Broad District project um, because the focus of it is the South Broad District. Um, uh, A lot of the early focus really started with the uh, community study that was done that was focused on the Southside Gardens community. And it just so happens that, of course, the Wheeland Foundry and former U.S. pipe site was considered part of that land use area that was the focus of the study Um, and so when we look at this we think of it as a revitalization play for the entire south broad area Um, not just Southside gardens not just hooterville um, but really a sort of revitalization play for for the entire area so we look at this as a really um, awesome opportunity to revitalize the area and that the stadium is just the first part to unlock a lot of that investment Got it. So the stadium is kind of the the focal point, both for the catalyzation of all this development that you guys are talking about and also Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the media coverage. So we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that and the nuts and bolts of of how this stadium is being constructed and paid for. So let's start with why a stadium as the catalyst for the South Broad District and why do the lookouts in particular need a new stadium? So I think both Brent and I can share can share that. But if you go back and look at the South Broad study that was done in, I guess it was started in 2017, planning of it went started in 2016, and then it was completed in 2018 and adopted by the Chattanooga City Council as an official land use plan. Uh, bless you. It, it, one of the one of the the recommendations that's in the list of implementation or that's part of the implementation and recommendations from the study is how do you catalyze and sort of jumpstart development 
on the Wheel and Foundry US pipe site. Now we all know what that site looks like. We've all seen it. We've all driven by it every time you're on I-24 going around Moccasin Bend. Um, obviously, it is a huge um, sort of attention drawer in terms of its unsightliness and the level of blight and disrepair that it is. So we all know what it looks like. And so, what, what does Charles Wood say when he tells people when when, when economic development's coming into town? When he's you know bringing people in to do tours, he he always tells them to look left when they drive through. There. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and so so when you so we to to that point. We, we know what the site looks like. And so when that study was done, it was done to sort of say, okay, well, if you want to see development here, you've got to have a catalyst to jumpstart it. And so uh, a minor league baseball stadium was recommended as one of the things that could be a, a potential catalyst. Now, we from the city have never said a baseball stadium could be the only catalyst. And I think that we would love to see other uses that, that can come to the site to create not only um, sort of a full entertainment district, but then also create, um, you know, more places to work, more housing, more hotels. And so we, we want to see more development. Um, and so there could be other catalysts beyond a baseball stadium, but a baseball stadium was one of the recommendations mm -hmm. and the lookouts are in need of a new stadium. So it seems like it would, could be a good fit. And we've talked about why the lookouts needs, need a new stadium at length in other platforms, but if you could just very briefly explain why it is that the Lookouts need a new stadium. Yeah, so over the past couple of years, uh, you know, Major League Baseball has contracted some minor league teams, and, and which means they've taken them away. Uh, Jackson, Tennessee is an example where they lost a minor league team. And the reason for that is because of non-compliant stadiums. And um, the, the owner of the Lookouts, you know, he stated a couple of times, minor league baseball has never contracted a team that has a compliant stadium. Um, in the past couple of years, uh, Major League Baseball has taken over uh, enforcement of, of these things. And the big thing about the stadium currently is, is it's, you know, it's basically dangerous for players. Um, and, you know, Major League Baseball invests millions of dollars into players, you know, signing bonuses from the draft. The, you know, the other day was, you know, some of them were $8 million. So, um, and, you know, the, the current field faces the wrong direction. It was built by the previous owners. Um, it was built as cheaply as possible, and uh, it, it was it was all private funding, which I think is a case study for why private only funding doesn't work for these kinds of things. Because the economics of minor league baseball don't allow for you know the amount of money to be spent that has to be spent to meet all the, the major league standards. Um, but you know the first baseman at the current stadium can't see the ball when it's being thrown to him, and that's dangerous. You know. MLB considers that a, a big liability. The warning track is made out of rubber. You know, when it gets wet, players could, you know, blow out a knee. Um, and then there's a myriad of other issues. But, you know, a lot of it is is geared towards safety of players that, you know, Major League Baseball is invested in very heavily. Um, but also just the, the experience for the player, for the fans, you know. I mean, if you've been to a lookouts game, it's, you know, it's miserable the first four innings with the sun just beating down on you because the stadium's not – Mm -hmm. facing the right direction mm -hmm. and that stadium is um you know there, there's dimensions that are incorrect that that have to be resolved i think there's over 140 compliance issues currently and there's no way you could renovate that stadium to to make it compliant so what major league baseball has has told the lookouts and the cincinnati reds is that they have to have a new stadium to have the lookouts here um they were on the list last year or year before you know to to go away 
Um, they got a reprieve because MLB wants the lookouts to be in this market. And also, I think for the the biggest reason why they got the reprieve is because the ownership group is, is very successful. They have a great track record. Um, they have two of the highest performing minor league teams in baseball in Fort Wayne, Indiana and Columbia, South Carolina. And the lookouts perform well, even though they're in a non-compliant stadium, but they, they could be one of the top teams in minor league baseball, you know, if they, if they have the facilities they need. Got it. So talking about putting together a new stadium for them, who's going to own this stadium that's being built at the South Broad district? It would be a jointly formed sports authority, which would be a public entity. Um, that will be composed of um, selections or members that were that are selected by both mayors. Um, so both the city mayor and the county mayor would would have picks that would serve on a jointly formed sports authority. Um, so the sports authority is a public entity. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be a public stadium. Got it. Yeah. So how is the project being funded then? So we will issue bonds, not we, the sports authority will issue 30-year revenue bonds. And these are not general obligation bonds. Uh, we issue general obligation bonds at the city. The county does the same, uh, you know, for capital projects, for roads, for schools, all those sorts of things. These are not general obligation bonds. They are revenue bonds issued by the sports authority that are secured by specific revenue sources. Um, these bonds rely on solely on the ability to pay. Uh, from those revenue sources and the revenue sources that that would secure the bonds include new property tax increment within the TIF district that we're creating around you know so it's not just around the stadium but we're using that site in particular uh, for all of our estimates Mm -hmm. Um, so property tax increment covers 58 percent of the debt service the lookouts are paying for 22 percent of the debt service so the lookouts you know something we've heard is why don't the lookouts put any money in this you know, the lookouts are putting in a, at least $30 million to, to pay for construction of the stadium over 30 years, uh, which covers 22% of the stadium. Sales taxes generated within the stadium cover 14%, and those are both uh, state and local portions that, that don't go to education. The, the education portion will still go to education, but the non-education portion will will use to pay debt service, and that is possible because the state, legis- state legislature passed a law in the last session that allows us to do that, which is also what's being allowed in Knoxville. Um, and then parking revenues pay for about 2%. And then the city and the county each would put in, put in 2% of the cost of the stadium, which comes out to 1.4 million each for the city and county. And that's not up front. That's over time. The first payment wouldn't be due until fiscal year 25. Um, but I think the really important thing about that is we are not using a single penny of existing taxes for the stadium. So if you pay property taxes in, in Saudi Daisy, or if you pay property taxes in Alton Park, uh, not a penny of those property taxes go to the construction of the stadium. Uh, everyone that currently pays sales taxes when they go to the grocery store, none of that is being used for the stadium. So the $1.4 million that we're putting in will come from economic development or hotel motel funds. And, and not anything that people currently pay. And I think that's, you know, there's been a lot of talk out there about, you know, this is taxpayers building a stadium. And, it, I mean, it is public money, but it's it's money that doesn't exist currently, and that's why the TIF is important. And the sales taxes are, are a pretty large percentage uh, that go to this as well. And mm-hmm. then last thing I'll say about that is the lookouts will be responsible for maintaining the stadium. Okay. Um, and that's on top of their lease. That's about $1.5 a, a year. So the lookouts will be putting – 
at least $75 million into the stadium for construction and maintenance over the next 30 years. And, you know, I think that that continues to get lost. You know, they are the beneficiary of the stadium, but they're also putting in quite a bit of money over right. the next 30 years. So let's talk about that lease and maintenance agreement for just a minute. Um, why was that decision made for the Lookouts not to provide any upfront funding and instead have this historically high lease payment uh, and, and talk about how that lease payment compares to other teams. Yeah. So uh, there are a couple of things you've both approaches have been used across the country. So <clears throat> the owners of the lookouts actually uh, did pay some upfront money in Columbia, South Carolina in the form of prepaid rent. So, you know, they, they went to, in that conversation, they said, well, we can pay this much up front or we can pay this amount over 30 years. Uh, and we had that conversation with the lookouts and we, we crunched the numbers. We looked at it. My preference would be to have, you know, that payment stream over 30 years. It's contractual. They have to pay it regardless. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, annual security to secure a portion of the bonds. So, you know, we, the, the portion of the bonds that are, that will be serviced by those lease, lease payments are taxable bonds because it's coming from private payment. Um, but those will be fully secured by the lease agreement. And the lease agreement starts at $1 million per year. Um, the lease agreement for, for the Knoxville Stadium is the same. Um, so, that I mean, that's, that's a model, but it's not necessarily what we're using because we're, we're adding an escalator into the lease agreement, which is, does not exist in, in Knoxville. So, you know, it, there's a small increase each year in rent payments uh, until development reaches a certain point. So they will pay over $30 million over the 30-year period mm -hmm. in lease payments. And, you know, either way, I mean, you could do upfront money or you could do it over time. Um, to me, it, it, it seems it seems like it's a better option to have that annual security over 30 years for right. a good port for 22 percent of the bonds. Yeah. So let's talk about that annual security, I guess, then what safeguards are in place to ensure that the lookouts continue to make those payments and what happens? You know, the lookouts could move, they could fold mm -hmm. the MLIB, MILB could cut them. Uh, how is this structured to protect taxpayers in the event that something, just some unforeseen circumstance yeah. occurs and the lookouts have to back out of this deal? That's a great question. Something we've talked to to them about from the very beginning. So, you know, this lease agreement is with an ownership group that owns two other uh, minor league baseball teams that are very successful. They have a strong financial position. The lease agreement is enforceable regardless of if we have you know, lookouts here or not. So uh, unless they become insolvent, which we believe is is highly, highly unlikely. Um, so just to back up a They will bit. have to pay. This is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's Hardball Capital. Hardball the Capital. The, the ownership group. Yeah. So the lease is with Hardball Capital. Correct. They are paying over 30 years, mm -hmm. and that is tied to the entirety of their position in all three teams that they have. So the, the entirety of Hardball Capital would have to go under, including these two other teams that they own in, where was it again, Columbia and, and Fort, Fort Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, Those two teams would also have to go under. They'd have to become completely insolvent to say, we can't make these payments anymore. Right. Well, and, and the lease could be just with the lookouts with a, with a guarantor from hard, yeah, a guarantee from Hardball Capital where they okay. would be the guarantor. But either way, legally, it's, it's going to be, yeah, they're responsible for paying. Um, and, and, 
you know, they're, they're, it's a legally binding contract that they, and they're agreeing to the full 30 year term regardless. The other thing that will be in the agreement is that this is based on language that they have negotiated in Knoxville with, with major league baseball. Um, you know, they guarantee, they will guarantee in the agreement that they will have a baseball team in Chattanooga for the full 30 years. So even if, if the lookouts franchise was pulled, they are responsible for fielding a baseball team in Chattanooga, regardless for those 30 years. And that could be, um, it could be a, a, you know, a semi-professional baseball team that's not affiliated. It could be some other, you know, affiliate. It, it could be any number of things, but they have to have a baseball team playing in that stadium for 30 years under the contract. Got it. And I feel really comfortable about that. They, I mean, they, especially with their track, you know, everything we do is based on estimates. We right. look at history, we look at trends, but when you look at the history of Fort Wayne and Columbia and how successful they've been just as, as an operating entity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they've won all kinds of awards. They've been named, you know, minor league team of the year, stadium of the year, all those sorts of things. But it is because of the, you know, the track record that this group has, they've had what, 39 baseball seasons that they've mm-hmm. operated. I, I mean, think, they, I think that's right. And, and they're really, they're a really good ownership group that, that understands how it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, so that, that is really informative and that, that helps mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, the other big question is what happens if stadium construction goes over budget and who's left holding the bag when that happens and how is that going to get paid? So there is going to be a finite amount of money for for construction, and right now we're estimating seventy two million dollars for the cost of the stadium. And we talked to to the owners about this early on because they have a lot of experience with stadiums. They've built the two that you know they've been involved in building or you know advising for building the stadiums, uh, the other two stadiums they have. But they also consult uh, for cities all over the country. Um, the Fort Wayne Stadium is a model that other cities have used over the past, you know, 10 to 12 years because it is the way it's built is, has been so successful that everybody wants to copy it. Um, Columbia is now becoming a stadium that people are wanting to model as well. So they have two, two of the stadiums that other cities, you know, want, want to model after. And so hardball capital actually does a fair amount of consulting in other cities for stadium projects. Um, one thing we talked about with them is, you know, there, there's things you can do. We can, we can build a stadium to, to make sure that we have all the infrastructure in the stadium, electrical, plumbing, mechanical, everything exactly where we want it to be. And we could hold off on bells and whistles until later. And they've done that. You know, they started building the stadium in Fort Wayne, uh, during a recession and they, they did that where they built, you know, 90% 90% of what they wanted and they added the 10% later on mm-hmm. um, as as funds became available and we could do that through increment you know around the stadium but the other thing is um, we, we hear about a recession you know it's coming it's coming coming well on one hand that will help because it'll help you know drive down some of the material and labor costs that go into constructing a stadium um, it may increase interest rates right at the same time but but overall uh, they, the, the developer as well as hardball capital are committed to getting a stadium built with mm-hmm. the resources that we have available. And, and they have ways of looking at it to make sure that we do that. Got it. So let's, let's talk about the TIF now. Uh, and just, if you could provide like a, a four sentence explanation of what a TIF is and how it works just as a yeah starting point. So a, a TIF is a way of growing the pie so to speak. And so um, basically what you do is you take a geographic area, uh, which is made up of parcels, 
um, and you look at what the current property taxes are, uh, you freeze those property taxes. And so that when the new development comes online on those parcels and that development creates new property tax revenue, you can then take that property tax revenue and fund infrastructure and public improvements in within the TIF district. Um, and so it's a way of using development to pay for itself, essentially. Like, let's say that I have a piece of land that's a vacant piece of land that yields, I don't know, $1,000 in property taxes every year. And there's nothing on it, right? Then I go build a hotel and put a hotel on it. And so now the property taxes that, that it generates, well, let's say now the property taxes are $10,000 a year versus 1000 That $9,000 difference is what we call the increment. And that $9,000 difference is then what can be used to be reinvested uh, to pay for some of the public infrastructure of the project. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Uh, so in this particular TIF, yes. several questions. First, of that increment, mm -hmm. in your example, that $9,000, mm -hmm. how much continues to go to the city and the county and how much is going into this project, percentage-wise, roughly? All of, all of so um, <clears throat> all of, if you take all of the increment that's generated, the first 40, call it 41%, goes to education. You know, that's a non-negotiable, and that's on the county side. The county also gets um, about a 7%. 7% of the increment goes to, um, like, economic development administrative fees, and then 19% um, goes to debt service for the county. So what we're talking about over 30 years is the county gets $40 million for education. They get $17 million into their economic development debt service funds, and then the everything else goes into – the, the TIF area, uh, which we're prioritizing debt service first. On the city side, uh, the city gets 25% of the increment, which is about $20 million over 30 years. The remainder, that remaining 75%, goes into the TIF district. So the, you know, the county's basically, of all the county portion of increment, about 35% goes into the TIF and 75% of the, of the city's portion goes into the TIF. And that's like that on almost every TIF because we don't give up education. So right. um, the education portion is important. We make sure that it goes to schools regardless. And then uh, that means a project like this, which is in the city, obviously, uh, it benefits much more from city increment than it does county increment. And so to, to simplify all that, not all of the money in this increment is going to the stadium. It is going to a portion, you know, sounds mm -hmm. like 75% mm -hmm. of the city taxes and, and when yeah. you say 35 of the county taxes are going to the stadium and that remainder stays in its current kind of revenue streams yep. and goes where it needs to go to yeah. fund city and county activities. And that's required by state law. Right. So under state law, cities and counties have to protect their debt service ratios. Mm -hmm. Um, and so by state law, you can't, you can't, you can't provide that amount of that portion that's reserved for debt service in the form of increment. And then it's just a local policy, um, that has been recognized by both the city and county to always protect the school taxes. Um, there are jurisdictions that, that, you know, will give up school tax money. Uh, but the Hamilton County is not, is not such a jurisdiction. Right. So any growth that happens in this area, the schools will the continue, schools to, continue get, to get full funding from get, every Bit every every single okay. penny that would normally go to the school system, they will continue to get. Okay. Yeah. So, and we're at, we're estimating forty million based on three hundred fifty million development. Um, but if it's five hundred million development, then the schools will get fifty five million. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. However much growth mm-hmm. they, they get their yeah. share of the pie, however big that is. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so the term of the TIF, it's over 30 years, same as the lease. Yes. And same as the bonds. Yes. Everything lines up at 30 years. So yes. for 30 years, every increase in property tax in this area gets split up into these pieces and goes yes. in separate yep. ways. Correct. What is the TIF area for this project? Well, yeah, so it includes um, all of the Southside Gardens community, which um, was part of the South Broad District study that was completed in 2018. And so that area is basically the area that is south and east of I-24 and then north of Chattanooga Creek, and it goes all the way over to Howard High School. Mm -hmm. Um, As we began to build out the TIF district, we realized that, like, you have blighted and underutilized um, parcels that are just south of the Chattanooga Creek. Um, And there are also some opportunities um, and some underutilized and and vacant lots along Broad Street down to 33rd Street. Uh, And then in talking to the South Chattanooga Neighborhood Association, they felt very strongly that any future development on this site needed to also create kind of a gateway to Alton Park because they felt that Alton Park for many years has experienced a lot of disinvestment. And so it was, uh, it was really important to, to those community members that even we obviously can't expand the TIF district down to Alton Park, but what we could do is include the, uh, there's a long parcel that we've got reserved to create the Alton Park connector, which is a greenway that will lead to Southside Community Park, which is in Alton Park. Um, and so the Alton Park connector is also part of the TIF district um, because it'll help us to build out that greenway. And of course, the Alton Park connector is connected to the Riverwalk. Um, and so people will have the ability to travel by foot or by bike or by skateboard or by scooter um, from Alton Park, from the Southside Community Park on up through the entire network of the Riverwalk. Uh, and hopefully they'll be able to catch a home run ball uh, from from a stadium at some point. They can use segways too, right? (laughs) They can use segways too. So the Alton Park connector is proposed to be paid from this TIF fund. Yeah, Yeah. you want to talk about the project priority? I think that's important for people to understand. This is a big piece of it. What is the TIF paying for besides the stadium? Sure, so the TIF pays for the stadium first and foremost because that's the, the biggest item. Which is public infrastructure. Um, which is public infrastructure because it's a public improvement um, that will be owned by a public authority. Right. Um, and then, and just you know, so that everyone's clear, um, the property owners will donate that property uh, mm-hmm. over to the sports authority, uh, and so that that land will become public land. Um, then the TIF will also pay for um, uh, the, a capital reserve account that will allow us in future years to be able to pay for uh, you know, any sort of big ticket items that extend the life of the stadium, so like a new roof or something like that, right, or an HVAC. Um, and then in addition to that, it will pay for, to the extent that there is increment available, and that's the key part, that's the key portion here, it will also pay for public infrastructure starting with the Alton Park Connector. Okay, so the Alton Park connector is public infrastructure piece Top number on the one list after yes. the stadium. That that's right, um, and so and again, that is our commitment to the people of Alton Park uh, and to the South South Chattanooga Neighborhood uh, Association. 
And I'll add, I mean, the fourth priority that we, we added in oh, is yes. that city and county can get reimbursed for anything that we put into debt service. So okay. we added that as, as, as the fourth priority, essentially. Right. And then, you know, if we do get a billion dollars of development, like, like we all hope, then, you know, the, the development can start getting reimbursed for, for infrastructure. But, okay. so but developers are on the hook, you know, while the stadium's being built, they're on the hook for infrastructure. Yeah, and there's no guarantee that they will be, because it's all based on on the level of increment that comes yeah. in. Right, so they're on the list. The developers of the surrounding property, not just the stadium, but all the mixed-use stuff that's going to go on around it, the developers are on the hook for paying for those roads, all that sewer, mm-hmm. all that stormwater, and they might get paid back, but they're... Yeah. They're at the bottom of the list, they're, or they're they're not really even on the list, right? I mean, I mean, we got four the four things on the list, but it, yeah. to the extent increment surpasses what's needed to cover those things, right? It just goes to the IDB to be allocated, right? Right, right, right. So our focus, and we okay. know as you build a stadium, there are going to be there are going to be public infrastructure needs that will be associated with the yes. stadium that we don't even know yet, right? So we don't know where every street light is going to go. We don't know where every road is going to go. We don't know what sewer lines are going to have to be moved or, you know, which what the direct path of utilities will be in terms of, of Internet and electricity and water. Um, but all of those things are going to be things that we will have to be able to to have the flexibility to deal with, which is why they're included um, as, as a potential cost um, in terms of cover, what, what's covered in the TIF. Got it. Yeah. Okay, so I want to move on from the TIF a little bit and start talking about some of these other forms of, of payment. We're, we're getting mm-hmm. some money from sales tax that is generated inside the stadium. How much of the sales tax is already being generated at the current stadium and is now going to be used for a different purpose than it's currently being used for? So the current stadium generates, uh, and the, this is an, you know, it's a close estimate, based on the um the analysis we have from our from our consultant but the current stadium generates approximately four million dollars a year of sales taxes mm-hmm. um or not sales tax, four million dollars of, of revenues that have sales tax on them okay um so that sales tax is generated off of four million dollars you know that's four let's call it four hundred thousand dollars let's mm-hmm. use ten percent of that four hundred thousand a year um, half of that goes to education already. The other half comes to the city of Chattanooga because it's generated within the city. So we're only talking about, you know, 200000 a year that comes to the city currently. In the new stadium, revenues will be at least doubled. So we're talking about going from $400,000 a year in sales tax to $800,000 a year in sales tax. Half of that will still go to education. The other half... Um, would come, you know, would go to debt service. So what we're talking about losing from the general fund is roughly 200,000 a year, which is not significant uh, in terms of the general fund budget, especially since sales taxes have have grown so much over the past couple of years. Okay. And you might want to, that property is not going to just sit there that the stadium is currently on. That is going to be yeah yeah Yeah. that's good yeah i mean the stadium will eventually you know when the new stadium opens the old stadium will be torn down that property will be used for something else in the future okay and i want to talk about that a little bit but i've got a couple other questions i want to get to first about 
the new stadium. Uh, so the next one, it's being billed as mixed use. There's going to be all sorts of events, not just baseball. Uh, how sure are we that these new events that are going to be at this new stadium are actually new events that Chattanooga wouldn't have otherwise and not just cannibalizing from Finley and, you know, local music venues and the conference center and things like that? I'll, I'll start with Finley. Sure. And, you, and you, you can talk about all the cool stuff we're going to do. <laughs> okay. um, all right. And this has come up several times. We see zero impact on Finley. Um, UTC will still play football at Finley. CFC soccer will remain at Finley. Those things will not be in the new stadium. Finley has a new executive director. He's been in Chattanooga before. He's most recently been at Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Um, Very experienced, very good. We have no doubt that he will activate Finley more than it's been activated in in years. Um, And and I don't don't think they're – you know, those two – those two stadiums, I don't think, will compete with each other. They're different. You know, they're set up differently. They're going to go after different things. Um, I think Finley will continue. They'll, they'll be at least as good as they are now in terms of, of operations and, and what they do, but I think they'll they'll get bigger. I, I really don't think Finley will be affected at all by the new stadium. And then if you look at what, what um, Jason Fryer and Hardball Capital have done in their other stadiums, I mean, you've got – Marathons that end in stadiums. You have uh, yoga that happens out on the fields. You have uh, uh, boy and Girl Scout camp- troop campouts. Um, you have uh, patriotic pops on the, uh, the the Fourth of July pops concerts. That ha- in addition to, um, I think in one of his stadiums he did a Nelly concert. Uh, and so you've got. Uh, I think they've also done the Zach Brown band has performed in some other stadiums. So Darius Rucker, Darius Rucker, uh, combined church services, um, in stadiums. I mean, so there is a, there are a lot of things, uh, breast cancer awareness walk. And then in Columbia, um, they also have, um, obviously it's a baseball stadium. And so they have a huge game every year, I think between the university of South Carolina and Clemson university, um, that is hosted at that, at that baseball stadium. And so, there's a lot that you can do, um, and I think it'll bring some new. <clears throat> excuse me, I think it'll bring some new opportunities to our to our city for activation, and having the ability to activate that site, you know, right along and next to the river and right alongside the Riverwalk mm-hmm. will, will be an amazing amenity for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they're they're going to allow the stadium to be a, a public park when it's not being used for baseball. So, and That's they've right. done that in their other cities where. So, you know, someone could be on the river walk and actually go walk through the concourse of the stadium or, you know, and it will all be tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, one thing, another thing they have in Columbia, I believe, is uh, they have a big splash pad outside the stadium. So yeah. it's really popular. Kids love it in the summer. They can come just hang out and play in the splash pad during the day. And then they play baseball at night. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, what is the design life of the new stadium? And, and I guess that's going to be, set by the sports authority board since mm-hmm. everyone's paying for the construction yeah. of the stadium. Uh, I guess the, the main concern here is the bonds are set for a 30 year term. So what assurance do taxpayers have that we're not going to get to the end of this 30 year term? The stadium's already lived out its useful life. And now we're in the position <coughs> of trying to do this again at another site and just keep mm-hmm. moving this thing around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be a 50 year stadium that i mean the design is going to be 50 years the life is i mean it's going to be built to last 50 years you know ingle stadium 
went for like a hundred years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of course, all the standards were way different back then. But the current stadium will be built to one hundred percent to MLB standards, which means it's more expensive than what the previous stadium was built. Um, but it, but it also means yet there's got to be a lot of attention to detail. And it has to be built to last. So it will be designed and built for a 50-year life. And that's what we see with all the other stadiums that mm-hmm. have been built. Uh, with, and, and, by the way, 19 stadiums have been built across the country in the past 20 years. 18 of them had public funding. Mm-hmm. 14 of them were more than 80% publicly funded. So um, there is a reason why these are public-private partnerships. It's just not the, – the economics of minor league baseball just do not support – privately funded stadiums um so it will be built for 50 years um you know another thing on the bonds uh because it's a good point you know we've got these 30 years worth of bonds you know we got to make sure the stadium lasts at least 30 years the bonds will be we'll be able to refinance those after 10 years Mm -hmm. we have all the belief in the world that we're going to have more development than we're estimating at 350 at 350 million um so in 10 years we could refinance the bonds using increment to pay them off as soon as possible and that would be the goal for sure and we do that with all bonds in the city the county does the same thing as soon as we can refinance a bond and get it paid off sooner we do it because that gives us more debt capacity for other things Mm -hmm. so you mentioned um the amount of development that you think is going to occur you've you've given this estimate that you think is conservative of 350 Mm -hmm. million dollars of of just brand new development brand Mm -hmm. new property taxes Mm -hmm. um how much development is currently committed and how solid are those commitments? What happens if those developers back out for whatever reason? And is there any discussion of having some kind of clawbacks or anything to protect? You know, say somebody comes in, starts a development, doesn't finish it. Mm-hmm. What happens? Mm-hmm. Who pays for that? So right now we have about $170 million that's committed. Um, and so we're actively work and that's obviously core development a multifamily housing developer out of nashville um the core is committed to going ahead and doing their phase one of their development no matter what mm-hmm. so whether whether a stadium comes or not they really like chattanooga they really like their all of their development is along uh the river walk at the wheel and foundry trailhead they really like that location mm-hmm. and have done a lot of development work along greenways um so they are committed to doing phase one no matter what Um, But they have uh, basically committed to doing the additional phases, which would allow for a a lot more density um, if a stadium comes as part of if if there's if there's a stadium. And so we're actively negotiating with them on the development of an of an MOU that would show that commitment. Got it. Yeah. So let's zoom out and talk about kind of the whole development district. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, I guess just at the Wheel and Foundry site, we've got New City has been hired as a master developer. Right. Who's hiring them? How do they fit into all this? Yeah. So the property owners hired Jim Irwin and, and New City Properties. Okay. okay. So the keep in mind, all of that land out there is privately owned. Right. It is not owned by the city. It is not owned by the county. It is not owned by the new sports authority that doesn't exist yet. Okay. So it doesn't... All of that is privately owned land. And so the property owners who own that property, they hired Jim Irwin and New City Properties, which was a priority for the city because we basically said, hey, as we start to sort of go go through this process of negotiation, it's very important to us to know that there's going to be a master experienced developer um, that can, can guide this process and ensure 
that there is a certain level of development that comes along with it. Uh, because if we just build a stadium out there and nothing else comes, that's not beneficial to anyone. Right. 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 And so. Um, and I think it yeah. gets lost a lot. That, I mean, the yeah. city and the county, we required that the land be donated. Yes. We required that they have a master developer. Yeah. Those are critical things, you know, that we, we said on the front end we have to have. We, as well as the lookouts paying what they're paying in a lease agreement as long yep. as well as lookouts maintaining the stadium so there are a lot of things that we we said on the front end like these are requirements or or there's no deal and, and those are things that just don't get talked about a lot in the public but but it's important to the whole structure of the deal yeah yeah i mean without jim Irwin, we wouldn't be at the table so yeah we're not paying jim Irwin; they are but i mean we made it very clear that without a master developer we we are not interested okay because for us again Although the lookouts are in need of a new stadium, we are interested in what comes around the stadium once the stadium gets there. So right. the stadium is is that catalytic piece that we believe unlocks a lot more development, which means more property tax revenue for the city and the county. That's what we're interested in. I know we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, I want to run through these questions really quick, but they are important. Uh, zooming out, we just talked about the Wheel and Foundry site. New cities helping develop that. Uh, zooming out and talking about kind of the South Broad District as a whole and even moving a little further south, what safeguards are being put in place to ensure that this redevelopment doesn't spur displacement in communities that have, you know, historically struggled for a long time, both in the Southside Gardens and in uh, Alton Park and, and all those communities, making sure that, okay, we're seeing all this new development, we're seeing property values increase. How do we make sure people don't get to play displaced? Yeah, that's a great question. And so... As we go through this process, Mayor Kelly has made it very clear that he wants to see a community benefits agreement that is put in place as part of this process. Um, one of the things that I think that we can do um, as part of that community benefits agreement is one, make sure that a lot of our senior citizens that are the that are eligible for the senior tax freeze uh, understand and are aware of the senior tax freeze and how much uh, relief that can provide in terms of their property taxes. Uh, the other thing that we will explore is the creation of a community land trust to sort of preserve affordability in those communities. Now, we have a little bit of time because this is, um, e even if all of our approvals were done tomorrow for the stadium, which they won't be, um, it will still take two years to build a stadium. So the lookouts would not be looking to, to start their first season in a new stadium until 2025, mm -hmm. which is three years from now. Mm -hmm. So, you know, no one is going to be displaced right now. So we've got a little bit of time. And, you know, there's 120 to 30 developable acres over there that have to be developed, I think, before you start seeing displacement in some of the surrounding right. communities. Um, but we, we've got... But we are going to displace the brownfield. But we are going to displace <laughs> the brownfield. And so... Uh, and I also, yeah, I kind of yeah. want to push back on that a little bit because sure. if this deal does go through, and we're talking about a pretty aggressive timeline, mm -hmm. people are going to see that. Yeah. People are going to start buying up properties. Property values are going to increase mm -hmm. in advance of whatever construction occurs because people know, hey this is an up and coming area and mm -hmm. now we're going to start buying and jacking up rents and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. I, you know, well, I don't well, think it's tied to the completion of the stadium. I think it's sure. tied more to the signing of, of the deal. Well, I think that's true. And to be fair, a lot of those parcels have already been acquired. Right. right? And then, and the, but the city also owns several parcels in the mm -hmm. community as well 
that we can sort of use and to sort of seed right. a, a potential land trust. And so I don't know that a community land trust has ever been used as a model here in the city of Chattanooga. I'm not aware that it has. But I think this is an opportunity for us to bring it to South Chattanooga mm-hmm. um, and to start to preserve affordability. Now, it is also important, though, that we understand that in order to create thriving communities, those communities need to be mixed communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that we also heard from the South Chattanooga Neighborhood Association is, hey, we feel like Alton Park has been sort of a place where poverty has been concentrated for a long time. Like, let's start to see a little bit more mixed incomes right. so that we can have healthier, more self-sufficient communities. Mm-hmm. So. so I want to talk about the Community Benefits Agreement. Who mm-hmm. is that with? Who is party to that agreement? Well, we'll we're still working through it. Um, but I, but you know, at the end of the day, I think you're going to have the city that's going to be sort of leading out front right. on it. Right. Um, and then, of course, we will um, make sure that the lookouts are, are, are also participants as well. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course... The community members, um, starting with the South Chattanooga Neighborhood Association. Okay. So. At this point, Ellis Smith, who had been sitting in on the conversation, chimed in. It might be valuable just to talk about what Jim Irwin has done at some of his other, yeah. to get the community involved, uh, like Ponce and so forth. Yeah. Um, and uh, anything in specific on there? Well, I was thinking about the agreements that he made with subcontractors. You know, there was a training program and then getting yes. people from the community involved. Yeah. And so, so yeah, minority participation in contracting is going to be really important. Being able to work with the Howard High School and their Future Ready Institute is going to be really important. Um, Howard's got a Future Ready Institute that's focused on architecture and construction. Um, and so giving those students the ability to participate in the design of the stadium as well as some of the development around it would be a, a key part of community benefits. Um, and then also the preservation of affordable housing mm-hmm. would also be big. Um, and then, of course, we, we got to get the Alton Park connector built because right. that's what the community said they wanted. Is the owner of the Wheel and Foundry site going to be held to that community benefits agreement? Are they going to be party of that, to that? I think we'll still need to work through through that. Um, they will own the site. They will continue to be the owners of, of different parcels around the stadium. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I think well, that's something that remains to be determined. Okay. Yeah. So I want to zoom out one more time, and then we'll get to kind of some scheduling stuff that we can answer real quick. Yeah. Um, there are a lot of really big projects going on in Chattanooga right now. So there's yeah. the Bend, which full transparency, I'm the civil engineer on, so I'm pretty personally invested in that uh there's also the west side river city company is trying to do the re-revitalization of the riverfront um there's there's a lot happening right now and i'm just curious i've heard this from other people as well can can chattanooga really absorb that level of growth that we're seeing in these massive projects um what is the risk of overdevelopment uh seeing stalling just because of you know flooding the supply chain essentially and just mm-hmm. dropping prices mm-hmm. um i would say yes i mean i would say that chattanooga has probably been underdeveloped for for many years and that we haven't necessarily reached our fullest potential and so i think when you look at these projects and you look at growth i've always imagined these as being projects that can sort of propel us to reach our fullest potential um you know when when new housing gets created um, I think most people feel like that housing is, is needed. Uh, we certainly are not a city that can claim that we are a dense city at this point in time. 
Um, if you look at our population, we're not dense at all. And if you want to start to like really focus on how we bring down costs for people across the board, it's by becoming a more densely populated city where you have more people who are paying into the property tax base for the same services. Um, and so to the extent that we can create more density, I think is, 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 is valuable. Now, at the same time, we also have to continue to work hard to recruit and help local companies grow and recruit new companies to town. Um, we were really excited this week that we had uh, a new company called iFixit that announced that they were gonna be creating 200 jobs over mm -hmm. in the Onion Bottom. Mm -hmm. um, they're gonna take over and build out uh, a warehouse that's, that's been abandoned for decades. Um, and they're gonna be you know, one block away from a sanctioned homeless encampment site. Um, and so that's pretty powerful uh, to be able to say that we can do that. They, they, are, they are based in California and also have an office in Germany and have decided to make Chattanooga their new East Coast hub. Um, and so, you know, that's 200 new jobs, many of, the, many of which are gonna be tech jobs. Uh, and so, so growth is good. Uh, and you know, and obviously it's got to be managed, but growth is good. I think I fix it's a good example of why of, of why people want to come to Chattanooga. You know, they're coming here because of the outdoor assets. I yeah. mean, they, you know, they they want they give they they give all their employees bicycles to to have them ride bikes to work. Um, they encourage you know embracing the outdoors and outdoor activity. And I think we're starting to see a lot of interest in Chattanooga that we've never seen before. Um, I think the pandemic has caused some of it. You know, there's people now that can work from anywhere they want to work because uh, they're 100% remote. And we're seeing people move into Chattanooga at, at levels we've never seen before, um, which, you know, is great. But we also, we have to continue growing and have, having housing stock available. Not just, I, I mean, we have an affordable housing problem. We all know that. But we also have a housing problem. <laughs> you know, we, I mean, we need more market rate housing as well. Uh, and we have these large sites and a part of Chattanooga that's just been neglected for, for 20, 25, 30 years mm -hmm. that could be, you know, like Jermaine said, they, they could be the thing that changes us to a city that's becoming more dense and spreading things out and creating areas where people can both live and go to work, you know, live, work, and play in the same yeah. area, which decreases the cost of living in general, you know. Because if we build a bunch of affordable housing out in East Brainerd, um, you know, there's a bunch of people that could afford to live there, but they can't afford to drive to work. You right. Know? And yeah. they don't have transportation. I, I guess so. talk very briefly, because a lot of people hear density and they hear congestion, they hear traffic, they mm -hmm. hear, you know, noisy neighbors. So talk just very briefly about that connection between density and kind of the efficiency of using our infrastructure and, and how all that doesn't necessarily mm. mean overwhelming congestion well so think about it like this density brings down costs in in some ways so like if you have you know a street that has two residents that live on it and then you have that street that now has seven residents that live on it the cost of that street spread across seven people then becomes cheaper right um and so so from our perspective when you look at when you when you look at our city um we we could afford to use more population. We could afford to um, to have more opportunities for people. Um, you know, if you drive around our downtown, we still have a lot of vacant surface parking lots. We still have a lot of abandoned buildings. I mean, we are we've we've done some things well, and we are growing. Uh, but there's still room for growth, and there's still room for improvement. And to the extent that we have. Uh, 
partners out there that want to take sites like the bend or that, you know, where there's nothing out there right now, um, except for Novonics, um, or, you know, sites like the wheel and foundry site, which has been an eyesore for decades. Like that seems like that's a good thing because it's going to bring new opportunities for people. Ellis Smith again. Um, We're pointing out that these sites at one point would employ what 5,000 people yeah. each and mm-hmm. were able to accommodate that. So nobody's adding new people. Um, it's about how do we restore a portion or hopefully all of what once took place there. So, I mean, I think it's a false dichotomy um, to say, oh, this is going to add congestion. We've, right. we've, yeah, I mean, there's nothing there, but there once was. We're, we're trying to bring it back to revitalize mm-hmm. it to, to its former glory. So I want to talk a little bit about just the schedule real quick of, of how this is going to lay out. I don't remember every single date that is leading up to this, but I know the County Industrial Development Board just approved this yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is being recorded on Friday the 28th, I think this is. Today is the 22nd. 22nd. I'm way ahead. Um, (laughs) Back to the future. Yeah. (laughs) The final schedule, I think, ends with a city council vote on August 9th. Is that Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. So we're just, you know, a few weeks out. This is Mm -hmm. moving pretty quickly. Um, So a couple questions about that procedure. First of all, why is the city and the county being asked to be exempt from the existing TIF procedures that are in place? Because if you look at the TIF procedures as they were adopted in 2015 by the city council, they were meant for private developers. Um, And so, and I can pull it up and read it to you, but um, essentially the, the very second paragraph on the first page basically says that if the city of Chattanooga desires to create a TIF district, you know, for its own public improvements, then it can follow whatever procedures it wants. That That is, um, that also means though that you, you still have to follow some procedures according to state law mm-hmm. because TIFs are governed by state law. Uh, and so that's what that resolution speaks to is it basically says the, cid, the city of Chattanooga will follow, you know, uh, its own procedures, but it will it will conform with what's required by state law. Ellis jumped in again, and there was a lot of crosstalk, so the audio is a little garbled, but he made the point that the city shouldn't be paying an application fee to themselves, to which Brent replied, there's not even really a reason for them to make an application to themselves. Application goes to a, a review committee. Um, That's right. We, you know, we are the review committee. You know, like, we don't need to send ourselves an application, you know, to create it. Right. It's a city. I mean, there could be an argument for saying creating, and this adds a lot of red tape and a lot of schedule, but creating a a semi-independent board separate from the team that's creating the TIF application. You have another team that's set up to review the TIF application, just to kind of create some balance there. Just Speaking well, off the cuff but a little the, bit, the but TIF obviously have, that adds a lot of... I would say the the review process for a TIF is very technical. I mean, mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, financial, legal, those sorts of things. Right. Like everything else is done through public hearing, which we, we, we're still doing. You know, we, we're, we've had, we're going to have like four public hearings, you mm-hmm. know, when, yeah. it's, when it's said and done. And this is, this is going to go through two industrial development boards, whereas mm-hmm. most TIFs only go through one. Right, city and yeah, county. City and, ca- and so... You know, the application review committee is generally four people plus a member of the chamber. Um, and so, you know, with this going through two industrial development boards and then being reviewed by both the city council and county commission and both mayors, there's a lot of there's a lot of review and scrutiny there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we feel confident um, 
that you know our elected officials plus our idb members plus our mayors are going to be much more knowledgeable than the typical review committee that we put together for a tiff right yeah. So I want to talk again then about that that schedule. So there, are, and you just talked about how many public meetings, but those public meetings are over a very tight space. I mean, just mm-hmm. over the course of a month, we're seeing basically just a fire hose of information, just speaking from the public. I mean, things are coming out very quickly. There's not a lot of time to digest what's going on, to talk with our representatives in the city council and the county commission and say, hey, here's how I feel about this project. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are a lot of public meetings in 2017 that led to that 2018 mm-hmm. South Broad improvement plan that was passed by the city council. But since then, from 2018 to, you know, May of 2022, mm-hmm. there has not been a lot of public information we got this steady kind of drip drip starting in January of, hey, the mayor's requesting state funds for this project. And that was kind of the first most people had heard of it since 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of seems like all of this is coming out all at once, being rushed through. Uh, there just there just hasn't been a lot of, of public but input. There, there were other two than community these, meetings in the, in the past month with the South. Such an right, yeah. right. I, I'm... What I'm trying to get, at, I guess, is why the such an aggressive schedule to get things done. You know, we started having these public meetings, you said, last month. So that would have been June. And now we're trying to vote on this thing in August. Uh, we don't look at this as aggressive. Um, so I'm going to push back against that. Okay. Uh, um, we There were over 200 people that participated in the South Broad District Study that was mm-hmm. done back in 2017 and 2018. Um, and then every local government across the country lost two years of progress due to the pandemic. Um, and then, you know, and so when you look at when you look at that, when you look at the fact that that this is still going to be a long process in which you will not have a new stadium built and ready until 2025. Um, and we will continue to engage with the South Chattanooga neighborhood group moving forward and have committed to doing regular meetings with them um, to make sure that they're a part of this planning process. We don't feel like this is a rush at all. In fact, we've got um, members of our community, including the South Chattanooga Neighborhood Association, who feel like we haven't moved fast enough. Since 2003, right, right. when they started talking about all this stuff. And I, I think it's important as you think about this is, yeah, every member of our county is going to have, every resident's going to have an opinion, um, which, is, which is great. We appreciate all of those opinions. But it is also important that we really pay close attention to the opinions that we hear from the people who have to live next to the site and look at the site mm-hmm. on a daily basis, mm-hmm. who drive by the site and who have to look over it every time they're on their way home. And so um, so for, from, from our perspective, and I think, you know, speaking a little bit for them, like this, this, this could have moved faster. Right. Yeah. yeah. And when, if I can just add one thing, and then I do have to step out okay. for me. But um, you know, this is an economic development project. Um, it, it, no one's taxes are going into this. You know, people that currently pay taxes are not putting any of their taxes into this project. Um, you know, we're putting 1.4 million of city and county money. That's very small percentage of money in the overall budget, and it's not even from taxes. Um, we didn't do any public input for Volkswagen. I mean, there's none. And we put like $40 million of cash into it, you know, but that's an economic development project. And that's typically how economic development works. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, I think we, you know, we like people and 
council commission as mayors to to do those sorts of things and make those decisions and uh the only thing i want to end on is mayor kelly's line from the rotary meeting yesterday because it was fantastic he said uh, if i'm wrong about the stadium vote me out yeah no i I get all that um i'll let you step out real quick and, and we'll finish up just one or two quick more questions um yeah, I also have an 11 a.m. So I've got to be in another location. Be <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but we can go ahead and finish up. Okay, um, I guess the final question on schedule is, you know, why August 9th and not wait until after the August elections to say, hey, we've got a new county commission, we've got people who just came into office, they're more in touch with their voters possibly because they've been campaigning, uh, you know, just push it back a month, two months to to take that leadership change into account. At this point, Brent, who was packing up his things to go to his next meeting, uh, he was out of range from the microphone, but he said that if somebody is retiring, you ask them to finish the project. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, look, we feel like a lot of progress has been made Mm -hmm. on this so far. Um, Obviously, Mayor Kelly is involved now. Um, The South Broad study was initially done under Mayor Burke in the previous city administration. Mayor Coppinger has sort of been here throughout this entire process and has overlapped both the city mayors. Um, so from our perspective, um, we feel like there is continuity in leadership right now and understanding of the complexities of the project, mm-hmm. understanding of the complexities of the schedule that's been sort of imposed by Major League Baseball um, and understanding the sensitivity of the fact that we've got a master developer like Jim Irwin, who's on board right now and whose financing partners are saying, hey, we've got a, a $650 million fund that we would like to you know, allocate here to the city of Chattanooga for future development. Um, you know, We've got core development here right now who's saying, hey, we're ready to go. We're gonna do our phase one no matter what, but we'll, you know, if you want phases two through beyond, like there needs to be a stadium, all the, that money and those resources is not going to stay on the sidelines forever. Okay. It, you know, um, and so I think that for, from, from our perspective, knowing that we have the continuity of leadership right now and knowing that we've got these folks who want to come along and do the development that we were imagining, we, we want to go ahead and get this done, um, so that we can make sure that we don't lose out on those opportunities. There is an opportunity cost when you miss out. Right. Um, and so, um, we we the the last thing we want is to 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 see to look up you know five six years from now and wheel and foundry look the exact same way that it looks today yeah so well thank you very much for your time anybody listening go to southbroadinfo.com or southbroad.info yeah there you go uh look up all the information there's a lot of faqs um and contact your city council member and your county commissioner and let them know how you feel So thank you. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chattanooga Civics. Our music was written and recorded by Kevin McLeod. If you have any questions or feedback, please send me an email at chattanoogacivics at gmail.com. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at chatcivics. Or visit the website, chattanoogacivics.com. Thanks for listening.